great song selection and singing today, man. That was excellent. Good morning. Okay. We're in Matthew chapter 6 here in a few moments. Hey, Wednesday night, summer series starts, but it's unlike the past summer series here in the past few years. You're going to go to your normal class where you sit with the normal people you're around at the normal time and place. But then you're going to have some abnormal people teaching. You're going to have two or three guys who have, met, who have worked on one chapter or one or two chapters of Scripture, some significant portion of text, and they're going to teach that chapter or passage. And they're going to give you a handout that you can either fill out or follow along or whatever they do. But each week, it's going to be a different group of people going through a different chapter. They're going to, they're going to move from class to class, but the classes are going to stay the same. Keep those handouts. We're not going to hand out another one later on. Keep those handouts. Take your notes. Because at the end of the summer, there's going to be a Bible quiz congregationally on a Sunday night. Classes versus classes and gender versus gender. It's going to be cool. Okay? So be here every week. If you miss a week, there'll still be the handout. We'll make sure you get a handout because that's where the questions are going to come from. So every Wednesday night, you'll meet in your same class, different teachers come around, and you're going to cover 13, 12, 12 significant sections of Scripture during the summer. I'm excited about it, and, and I, I hope that you'll really encourage those guys as they go from class to class. And then next Sunday is VBS, and you know what VBS around here means. Everything's going to be different. You're going to walk in here, and it's the birth of Jesus, and probably somebody's water's going to break. I mean, it's that real. You know, it's just that intense because they planned this so well. And, and you're going to love this. Everybody needs to participate in some way. I know last year's cookie Nazi is not going to be back. Her name is Becky Mulholland. Anybody know her? If you tried to eat, as a worker, you tried to eat a homemade cookie, she would break your arm because she thinks the homemade cookies should go to the kids. You think so? We have a not view of perspective here. I think it should. So she would make sure, well, now she's not going to be here. She's going to be in Boston somewhere. So someone has to be the cookie Nazi. So we're taking applications. Anybody wants to do that? You've got to be mean. You've got to be willing to look at good people and call them evil. That's what you have to do and stop them from cooking, taking those cookies. So if you're up for the job, I, I know a couple people in here who could do it. I just want to know if you'll apply for it. Anyway, so that's next week starts our VBS. It's hard to believe as they said a moment ago. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones long. They are weak, but He is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. If you didn't get that, you were not listening at all. Last, uh, last week we were gone. We were in Orlando. Our, our, the kids will tell you Harry Potter stuff was the number one thing. I'm going to tell you the number one thing was going to, a, to a, a federal prison and visiting a guy that we've been writing for a few years. He's a Church of Christ preacher's son. And a few years ago, I think back in 98 when he was, uh, I don't know, 24 years old, something like that, 
early 2000s, he, he got on the wrong path and he executed a, a girl, 18 years old, killed her. And because of that, and because he was willing to confess it, he's going to be in prison all his life with no possibility of parole. We got to writing to him because he wrote to us about Abby's health one time. He saw this blurb in the Gospel Advocate, and we've been writing ever since. And I thought, we're going to be that close, I want to go down there. And I was thinking it was going to be glass and a phone, but it was a wide open room, and he could have snapped our necks any minute. It was creepy. But we were across the table from him, and, and I had Noah on, Noah was on one end, and I really wanted him to address it because he's a Church of Christ preacher's kid who killed somebody, and I wanted him to tell my Church of Christ preacher's son how not to kill somebody. Uh, it was an interesting experience, and I, I think uh, if, if, if I could do this, I've tried this in the past, it's been refused, but if I could do this, one Sunday you're going to come here and we're going to Skype this guy in here. He's now a preacher, and he preaches behind bars, and he's baptized as many people as I have probably. And, and I, I think uh, it would be cool for people, to, especially young people, to hear this guy's story. Fascinating fella. It was a rewarding time. Melissa said, how are we going to have anything to talk about? We talked for an hour and a half, two hours, something like that, and they finally ran us off, said, you've been here too long. And uh, just fascinating guy that uh, I think uh, would a story worth telling. And it would be told either by him or, or me one of these days. But uh, he also told me uh, that one of his best friends is a Jonesboro resident who's down there, and his family still lives here. And uh, uh, in the 80s, he graduated from Jonesboro High School, and he's now down there with him in prison. I don't know what for. I don't want to know. Uh, but it's a fascinating thing. What a small world we live in. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. This is going to be a weird sermon because I'm going to talk fast, literally. Uh, I'm going to try to sell you on something. That was funny, by the way. Did you all get that? Uh, there was three more people who laughed than in the early service. Um, but I'm going to try to sell you on something that you will never want. I'm going to talk to you about a, 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 an action of the Christian life that you never want to engage in. And I'm going to tell you why you should, but I'm not going to convince many of you, if any of you. You're going to walk out of here and say, I'm never going to do that. And yet, Jesus talks about it, and so we, we should too. And there's a few reasons. One, one reason why, why I, I, I don't think anybody will is because I will never be able to prove to you that this is a required part of the Christian life. No one's required to fast. You don't have a, I don't have a book, chapter, and verse to convince you. The only thing is this passage right here, Matthew chapter 6, beginning verse uh, 16, and when you fast, it is assumed that you will. But there's a second thing. Nobody wants to. Who in the world chooses this? I'm going to, on purpose, remain in hunger, making my stomach rumble and making my body just crave food. I'm going to do this on purpose, self-afflicted, self-inflicted, self-mutilating. Why would I want to do that? I like to fast, except I like to add an E before the A. Get that? Humor is wasted on you. Third thing is this. Culture prides itself on feeding your desires and meeting experiences, not denying yourself one. The only reason anybody fasts today is they're having a colonoscopy, right? So why would I choose this 
on my own? Why would I want to invite this into my life when I don't have to? And then I would add a fourth one. It would be this. Jesus didn't seem that fond of it. John the Baptist, his followers fasted all the time. The Pharisees fasted. They fasted twice a week. Do you remember that parable in Luke 18 where this, this Pharisee and this tax collector are praying in the temple and, the, and, the, and the, the Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you I'm not like him. I do all these good things. I go to synagogue and, blah, and I fast twice a week. Twice a week. Who in the world would choose that? And the only reason they did it was to put a pin on their lapel, right, that would dangle and swish and show just how really spiritual they are. What made the Pharisees pharisaical is that they did the actions. It just didn't change them. Aren't you glad there's nobody like that today? They come to church, but they aren't really changed by it. I'm glad there are no people like that. Now, the Pharisees were like this. And Jesus says, you know, there is a time for fasting, but you've got to know what time it is. And then when you look at the book of Acts, the only time the apostles of that time would fast is before a major change or decision. Like, we want to start a, Paul's first missionary journey. I'm pretty sure they didn't call it that. But we want to do missions. And who do we send? And they were trying to decide all that, and that's when they fasted. But you don't see fasting in the New Testament very much. You add all that together and you're like, why are we wasting a sermon on fasting? And yet Jesus says, and when you fast, you're going to do it. Jesus becomes a little bit like an Old Testament prophet because the, even at the end of the Old Testament, there was an abuse of fasting. If you have your Bibles that you can change and switch over, go to Isaiah 58 for just a moment. Jesus picks up the prophetic call right here because the problem was in the Old Testament, people would fast. Their only required fast for a Jew was on the, the Day of Atonement. It was when they had gathered up all the crops for the, from the, 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 the season, right? And so they had their barns full of stuff, and to celebrate, they'd stare at it and not eat it for a day. Isn't that crazy? That was the only time they fasted by requirement. Somebody picked it up a little bit more later on. They began to fast for all sorts of different reasons. But when God did not bless them for it, they began to cry out to God. And Isaiah chapter 58, Isaiah chapter 58 begins with a protest of God's people. We've fasted, God, and you don't even notice. We've humbled ourselves in fasting, God, and you aren't even taking notice of it. Behold, in the day your fast of your fast, you seek your own pleasure, you oppress your workers, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. God said, the fasting you're doing is not really the fasting I've asked. Because you don't change your behavior, you still treat people rudely, you still mistreat people and don't do justice. Is this the kind of fast that I've chosen, verse 5? Now look at verse 6. Is not this the fast that I'm choosing? When God, God says, when I fast, I want you to know what I'm talking about. When I ask you to fast, this is what I mean. To loose the, bounds, the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? And when you see the naked, to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? You guys fast, but it doesn't make you like me any more than you were before. 
It's just an action. It's just an outward expression that you think should earn you something with me. It's some kind of way to get me to bless you. God says, that's not the fasting I'm asking for. When I ask you to fast, I want it to be real. I want it to be a moment for you to reflect more closely into God's face and to become more like Him. I want you to, to push aside everything that you normally do and instead focus on me and become more like me. That's what a fast is supposed to do. It wasn't for them. When you connect fasting, which means withholding food from yourself, to the results God expected to see of producing righteousness in you, you begin to see what a fast was for. It's to replace what you would normally do with a little more devotion to God. He wants it to change you. He doesn't want you to impress people, not even Himself. He wants you to be shaped by that fasting to develop into a person who is more likely to deny their natural impulses to hoard and meet their own interests and instead to share and meet the interests of other people. So picture this with me for once, okay? I just want you to join me on this journey for a minute. I call up Matt Nix and I say, Matt, let's go for lunch. He says, okay. I said, actually, let me change that. Let's spend lunchtime together in fasting. We're not going to eat. I don't know what he'll do then, but let's just pretend that he says, okay, we'll do that. And I say to him, the money we would normally spend on that lost pizza lunch, we're going to give to that guy at the stop sign on Caraway Road. And then we'll go to this park on Caraway Road, and we will pray for that guy and others that we're thinking about and, and, and other concerns that we have for our own selves and our own families and lives. I get a reluctant, uh, uh, you know, a reluctant agreement from Matt to do this. As we start nearing 11 o'clock, we start to second-guess the stupid idea that we'd come up with. Our stomach begins to growl, and by natural impulse, our bodies, through our stomachs, try to change our minds. We start looking at that and thinking, you know what? At Lost Pizza, there, there's this lunch deal where you get... a. a, a Two topping personal pan pizza with a salad and a drink for like eight and fifty. We start thinking about every lunch special and that food that we never really think much about, all of a sudden that's all we think about. And your body begins to scream out, feed me, feed me, and your body begins to attack you in your resolve. But in your mind, you've already committed to this fast. And you tell your body, just settle down. I'm going to veto you. I'm going to tell you who's in charge, and it's me. My mind, ruled by the Spirit, is even over my body, despite all its protest and its rising up in rebellion and a coup attempt over my mind. The mind says, no, you are going to submit to me by principle. And you even start talking to your body. Stomach, shut up! You're not going to starve. There's pork chops that are cooling in the refrigerator right now that's for supper. I'll take care of you later. For right now, you can do with some emptiness. You've already told God your plan to give Him extra time. The lunch plans are set, and your friend meets with you at a nearby park. Matt and I get together. We first of all talk about who is out of our minds to come up with a stupid idea like this. But we share those prayer concerns and we pray for that guy. And even as we start praying, our stomach growls and tries to get our minds distracted, but we beat it back with mental arguments. Time spent feeding the body is sacrificed 
in order to nurture our spirits together and we commune with God and then we go back to work and I've got to tell you, the moment you go back, your stomach starts telling you what you had sacrificed. It doesn't miraculously make the hunger go away. But you know this day. You denied your body what it wanted and even needs and replaced it with what your spirit needed. And there are times even when that hunger goes away, much like with Jesus, with the woman at the well in John chapter 4. But you're back to your normal day and nothing's changed. Listen, this fasting is a parable. It is a spiritual workout. It's a time to exercise spiritual muscles. It's a training ground for what you have to do the rest of your life. Your body, it has these desires and it has these attractions and it has these demands that it places upon you. And some of these demands are fine and some of them are not. Sexual desires are part of natural development of human beings. And God has certain requirements for how those are to be met. Marriage is God's approved means of meeting them. And I have to tell you this, though, and young people, listen very carefully. Your marriage does not answer those with such finality that no more temptation arises. Self-control is needed before you get married, but it's also needed afterward. It's also needed while you're a married person. Those, that need for self-control is never going away. You watch Grey's Anatomy and everybody jumps into bed with everybody else when the desire hits. That's the world's doctrine. But Christian doctrine is this. Sometimes, a lot of times, you have to deny your body what it wants to give God what He wants. Sometimes you do. And sometimes you have to say no with every fiber of your being. And sometimes you long to say yes and you think and dream and imagine all the ways that you could say yes and you must say no. And listen, there is not just one person who has this attractional power over you who is your soulmate. And if you find that soulmate, it meets your needs so deeply, you never have a desire for anyone else. It is a lie. It's not true. And even after you've married and you have that outlet for sexual expression, you will still have your mind wander if you let it, and you must, sell, must say to your body, no, no, no. You must starve it, just like in a fast. There are people right here at Valley View, attractive people that can stir those feelings within you. It can happen, and you must say no. And fasting is an example, an exercise in how you can do that for your larger life. You must. The Holy Spirit has these fruit that He grows in you. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. But that doesn't mean that you don't have to use it. You've got to learn to utilize it. As spiritual people, we have to fast all the time in some sense. We have to deny. We have to distract. We have to starve because we must not say yes to it. We must say no. It's what makes us children of God and not evolutionary baboons. A way to practice this is fasting. A simple, powerful way to exercise muscles that are required 
to grow the strength to tell the body no, no, no. And your emotions are the same way, church. We want to belong. We want to have a place where we're liked. Everybody wants to go where everybody knows your name. There are all sorts of ways dictated to us that are required for belonging in certain circles. Maybe some people are rude to other people, mock certain people. Some demand that you drink certain things. Some of them dress a certain way. Some of them enjoy a certain kind of entertainment to belong in this group. You may have to do any number of things like use a certain language to be accepted in this one group. And sometimes everything that's within you wants to say yes to all those things in order to belong in those places. Maybe you have to visit questionable websites. Maybe you have to bully other people. Being accepted in this group becomes so attractive to you and your emotions are drawn to them. That whole belonging and being part of this, that you're tempted to compromise your values. It takes a strength of character to be able to, in the midst of this, say, that's not who I am. I cannot say yes to that. I must say no in order to say yes to God. It takes this strength and grace gives it to us. Titus Chapter 2 teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions while we wait for the return of our Lord. This strength doesn't come to us overnight or easily, but one powerful way to train yourself to have it is to fast. Deny yourself something that's not wrong but can be denied for a short time in order to engage in something even better. You tell yourself no. No one likes to be told no. You interview for that job you really want and you're told no and we feel terrible. We want to do something and our parents tell us no and we get mad. We want to play this certain position, and the coach says no. We want to start on the team. I want to be valedictorian, and because of circumstances, you're told no. You have this great idea, and the boss says no. You read Scripture, and that something that you want to do is cut off from you from the will of God, and God says no. It's part of life, y'all, to hear no. It's part of life to being told no, and we must hear it from the most important person in our lives, ourselves. You must learn to tell yourself no and you must learn to hear yourself say it and that's what fasting is I will tell myself no and I will accept it Jesus has little concern about whether you ever fast or not but he knows in this world we must exercise this no in powerful ways. Those who try diets know what this is like to say no to this food and yes to this. To get in exercise routines where I say yes to this time of day and these kind of routines. You know the strength it takes to get yourself up early, to deny yourself those things you're used to in order to pursue greater ones. And this is not easy, this is not what we want, and it's reason why few people stick with it. Because we don't know how to commit and have the strength to stand by our no. And we're raising our kids in a generation where they're spoiled and unable to discipline themselves because they don't have parents who are capable of standing over them and not only saying no, but meaning no and staying no for as long as no is necessary. 
And the only way to train ourselves for this is to practice. Set the alarm. Make yourself get up despite what your body says. Take that job. Keep that job. Do the best you can at that job, no matter how frustrating and disappointing and unsatisfying it is, until you find another. Even Jesus had to submit himself as a perfect man to imperfect parents. Our Christian lives in this world depend on the strength of our inner man to be able to say no to all the things the world offers so that we can say yes to the greatest of things that are eternal and right. Joseph with Potiphar's wife, it's not difficult to know how Joseph was able to say no to her once, but the text says she came back day after day after day. That's how the world is. The world will let Christians be holy for a while, but it will beat us down day after day after day. So how do we train ourselves to get better at this? How do we train young people to say no to their bodies, to say yes to God's will? How do we train people getting married to honor their I do when they don't want to? How can you make people in an age of impulsiveness wait a little longer to save money for something they want so that they can still honor God in the offering plate as it goes by. How do we do this? It's not natural. We have to train ourselves. It takes self-control. It takes the ability to say no to me, to experience the joy of having said yes to God with all the sacrifice that took. So when you fast for one meal, I'm not talking 40 days here, when you fast for one meal to have extra time with God, you've sacrificed something, and God knows it. Food's not the only thing, and for some people, food's impossible. Maybe it's social media and your cell phone. Two or three hours where you just turn it off and say, I'm not going to answer it in order to spend some time with God uninterrupted. Or maybe, maybe it's that binge watching. I cannot believe this is a sermon illustration. And a few years ago it would never have been. But there are people who binge watch programs and every evening as soon as you get home, you start watching that and you watch, watch, watch and you just can't stop that thing. What happens if one evening you say, we're not turning that on, we're going to spend some time in prayer and maybe a little bit of Bible study and, and, and devotion with one another? That's fasting. That's what Jesus is talking about. If you can do that on occasion and you can honor it, you're telling your body and your mind, no, who's in charge? It's the spirit that's aligned with God's. So life really is a series of clashes between the body's desires and the spirit's submission to God, and the Christian must win more than lose. So Jesus never offers a time for fasting at all. That would defeat his purpose. He does make it clear, though, that we have to deny ourselves this way in order to strengthen ourselves for a greater righteousness. Fasting is not really for God. I think God treasures it. He treasures it in the way that a parent does. When a parent knows something is bad for, his, for a child, he'll say no, put restraints and boundaries there, and say, this is a no, you can't do this, it will hurt you. And, and, and if you watch that child stre- just really want to, and even once in a while break that rule, and you reset that rule, and you apply some discipline. And then you keep watching them, and they struggle, and they struggle, and they struggle restraining themselves. But one day, one day you watch, and as they battle it, they finally back off from it and decide that you were right. And a parent can look with great pride and joy on that because they've learned a lesson. That's how fasting delights God. We look at the restraint God has placed in our lives, and we honor it. But it's not really for Him. 
It's really for us to exercise that muscle that's required throughout the days of our lives to say no to what we want and yes to what God wants. Exercise the ability to tell your body and emotions no so you can say yes to God. You cannot have the best until you say no to the rest. And that's the way God is. It's the heart of our gospel. It's the heart of how Jesus modeled this for us. There was a day in a garden where Jesus had to make the choice, am I going to proceed and do what God called me to, which is going to cause me to suffer incredible pain and intimidation and all sorts of horrendous experiences? Am I going to do that, or am I going to do what I would prefer, and that is avoid all that? And so he says to God, God, what I want is you to find another way, but what I know is what your way is. So I say to you, God, Jesus says, no to me, yes to you. And because he made that choice, only because he made that choice do you have one. You have a choice to be right with God too. And the way you do that and the way you start an entire walk with God this way is when you come before God and you say to Him, God, my way is wrong, it's sinful, I repent. The way of Jesus is the right way and I commit to it. I submit in the waters of baptism to have my sins washed away and I rise to walk a new life, a life just like the decision you just made that says no to me and yes to God. And every single day of your life, you have to live that out. I am not going to convince anybody in here to fast. Now, somebody's going to call me up on Wednesday and try this with me. They're going to say, you have time for lunch? Yep, let's fast. I'm going to go, oh, man. Terrible sermon idea. But whether you fast this way or not, here's the truth. If you're going to live the Christian life this week, if you in any way are going to make any effort to successfully be like Christ this week, you will have to say no to yourself and yes to God. It's not easy to fast and it's not easy to do that either. But that's the call that you have for this week. That's the lifestyle you've embraced. And that's the mission of your life this week. If there's anyone here who's never responded to God, you are required to say to God, no, it's not going to be my way anymore, it's going to be your way, and submit to the waters of baptism. If there's anybody ready for that, we would love to help you with that. And if for whatever reason this week you've said more no to God than to yourself, and sin is just crouching at your door, just, just constantly knocking, and you've, been, you've, you've just struggled with that, and you need the prayers of this church, we'll help you because we know what that's like. Whatever response you need to make this morning, make sure that the words you say as you leave this building is no to me and yes to God as we stand and sing to encourage you.